When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. And I'm going to start with a message for producer Guy. Um, producer Guy quite often says to us, boys, please don't talk about football. And we say, but sir... We love talking about football, and he says this is not a football podcast, it's a football finance podcast. You can talk about football down the pub. And we go, sir, please let us talk about football. And he taps a photograph of Michael McIntyre on Swiss Ramble and says other people are available. <laughs> um, so my message to producer guys is that um, for this week, we are not talking about football. <laughs> oh boy, we are not talking about football. And the way things are going, we might not be talking about football for quite some weeks. So, <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> How are you, Kieran? I'm I, I'm good. Uh, I'm not in sunny Sussex. I'm in, I'm in extremely wet Sussex at present. So uh, uh, Finley's not been for his walk this morning. So he's he's sitting next to me, uh, giving me the look. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, <laughs> the look which the Baroness sometimes gives me when I'm talking about spreadsheets at six, at six o'clock in the morning. Yeah, well, if it's any consolation, Smudge is sitting underneath. Uh, the bamboo hedge that we inherited when we bought the house, in the mistaken belief, despite the fact she's had eight years' experience, that it's waterproof. It's not. Mm-hmm. So I'll be dealing with that. Any second. So you've got a barking dog, and I'll have to be drying off a cat halfway through. Um, apart from that, all good. I'm, actually, I'm a bit sulky. I, I read a very interesting article. Somebody sent it to me yesterday from The Telegraph about how you can spot that you're in the presence of the, the wokerati, uh, somebody who's two middle classes are own good. And it, it said that quinoa has become a rather tired cliche for identifying middle class people. So <laughs> I'm going to have to find something else to describe Brighton fans, Kieran. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Unfortunately, couscous and polenta are also on the list, so I'm, I'm struggling. So let, let's let's answer some football questions, Kieran. Yes, indeed. Um, and the first one comes from Simon Robinson. And it's one of those questions I'm happy to ask. Again, it's, it's, a, it's a subject we've covered. But it's always worth revisiting it because it's a, it's a question we're always being asked. Um, and Simon says, since almost all professional clubs in England make eye-watering losses, what's in it for the owners and their business empires? Can they move losses around the group and offset them against other profits? Um, well, Simon, yes, yes, they can is the simple answer if they've got a very good accountant. Um, so, so we have seen historically... Some clubs have made significant losses and then they've transferred those losses to the parent company. So so Middlesbrough is an example. Um, Middlesbrough owner has been extremely generous towards the club, um, but there have been some tax benefits for the ultimate holding company there. Um, it does, doesn't tend to be the case that the, the uh, revenue have, have tightened up the rules. So we've not seen that for uh, for a few years, but uh, I think Borough had, did it certainly a few years ago. Um, in, in respect of... Um, the issue of ownership models. Um, I, I, I refer people to a book called The Price of Football, which says, <laughs> why buy a football club? 
available all good bookstores and, and, and most and quite a few crap ones. Um, why, why buy a football club? And the answers are love, profit, vanity, and insanity. So we, we and th- there are some people. Yeah, you know, we we are both we are both benefiting from the fact that our clubs are are owned or partly owned by people who've got a genuine affection for the club. And there's a good chance that had it not been for those people, we wouldn't have a club to support. So um, some people who have been independently successful and have supported a football club for many years end up buying it because they can. Um, And it's it's something to tell your mates. Yeah, you know, I've I've loved this club so much. I went out and bought it. It's it, so it's it, it's it's fantastic uh, with regards to that. Um, so that, that that's that, that's I'd say at one end of the scale. Um, there's the the profit motive. Um, the the Glazers are not popular owners of Manchester United, but they they've bought you know, they bought Manchester United in two thousand and five for around about seven hundred million pounds. Uh, most of that money wasn't theirs, um, and if they chose to sell it today, they could easily sell it for four to five billion. Um, so so there is the opportunity to make profit, and of course the Glazers have also extracted significant dividends from the club uh, over the course of their their tenure of ownership. All perfectly legal, of course. Um, and then we've got. Um, sort of yeah, vanity purchases uh, if you are a billionaire and nobody's heard of you and you're going well hold on you know, I'm, I'm a billionaire i've been in you know, i've been very successful i've, I've, I've inherited money or whatever um I, I've, I've got the yacht i've got the apartment in monaco but all the people i go to canapé parties with um they are also uh, owners of yachts and they've also got uh the the, uh, the trappings of wealth um what football offers, especially football in this country, because it is so popular globally, it, it offers scarcity. There, there can only be 20 Premier League football clubs at any one time. Um, and if, if some of those owners get their way, they'll only be 18. But that's, that's a separate story, of course. Um, and therefore, it gives you the opportunity to say, well, yeah, would, would, you like to, would you like to come to my club on Saturday? Yeah, we are hosting... Uh, we're hosting Arsenal or Liverpool or Manchester United or City or Chelsea. yeah, there, there's and and that adds to your kudos. So so it, that, there are vanity purchases, um, and then there's insanity. Um, and I give you Lawrence Bassini. <laughs> um, canapes wasn't on that list of cliche, I know. <laughs> cliche middle class food, so I might be using it. Now you've mentioned um, uh, the Glazers. We did have a question in from uh, Tim Chambers. Uh, who said that we've patiently explained how that Glazer takeover happened before, but mm. he still can't get his head around it. So perhaps this this idea that a club can be bought basically with the club's money. So could you give us a brief refresher for Tim? Yes, yes, Tim. Um, this is what's referred to as a leveraged buyout. Um, and it is, cop- it is common uh, in the world of mergers and acquisitions. Um, and what happens is that you've you've got a company which has uh, either no debt or next to no debt, and that was the case of Manchester United in two thousand and five. Mm. Yeah, the, the under the the previous ownership regime, um, Manchester United actually had cash in the bank and zero borrowings, um, which means it's it's a bit like if if you acquire a house which doesn't have a mortgage. 
in theory, you can go and take out a huge mortgage using the house's security. And, and this is what the Glazers decided to do. So they, they, they went to, to, to buy uh, Manchester United from, from a, select, you know, a collection of owners. Um, the club didn't have any debt. So therefore, they said to the, the existing shareholders, we will buy your shares from you. Um, but we've we don't have the money ourselves, so what we're going to do is is the club is going to take out a loan, um, and, and that's uh, that's that's the way it's done. Now, and if it works, it, it works spectacularly well from a financial perspective. Um, we have seen Burnley's owners uh, take out a, a similar approach, uh, the ALK Group, and um, you know it's on a much smaller scale than that of Manchester United, but you know. Burnley are now sitting at the top of the uh, of, of the championship. They could be coming back to the Premier League. Um, the the aim is to increase the value of the the club, and that then you make a profit, um, pay off the debt, uh, and and you normally quids in on on a huge multiplier basis. So leverage buyouts are very very popular um, with uh, owners. Who are willing to take on risk, and ultimately, it's it's the club that takes on the risk. It's it's the it's the club that pays the interest. And in the case of Manchester United, remember uh, they borrowed seven hundred million pounds. They've paid eight hundred and sixty eight million pounds in interest since two thousand and five, um, and the debt's not gone down. So it it might appear on the face of it to be something which makes no sense, but uh, if you crunch the numbers into your spreadsheet, it it is a very successful model. Now. Kieran, if Tim is anything like me, it, it could be the word shareholders that unlocks the key to that mystery. Because like many football fans, when it first happened, I assumed it was a kind of shadowy Glazers going behind the owners back, sorting the money out and then presenting them with a fait accompli. But it's not that at all, is it? It's all open and above board. And, and for quite some time, the shareholders did quite well out of it. So I think that's what many people... That's where the misunderstanding was, I think, for many people, was that this was a a mysterious takeover against the wishes of the of the previous owners but that couldn't be further from the truth could it no no and and again if we sort of use if we use a house analogy if if i buy your house i.e. you're the you're, you're the effective existing shareholder of the house um do you actually give a damn where i get my money from you know especially if i offer you a really good price you just come like say well yeah that's that's that sounds like a good deal for me um as long as you get your check and remember, the Manchester United was uh, owned by a variety of shareholders at the time. Uh, yeah, they they don't care how you source your funds; uh, they, they just want the the sale price from from the house, or or in this case, uh, the yeah, Manchester United shares. Interesting, you should say that, Kieran, because when we uh, sold our last house eight years ago, uh, our, our first house, to be honest, we were there for a long time. We sold it with some reluctance to move somewhere but when we did sell it um the first person to come around and look at it offered us the asking price and and said uh he could sort the uh, the mortgage out the money by the following week which we thought was was very good but slightly suspicious and uh, when we hadn't heard anything from him by tuesday we phoned up uh, the number that he gave us and his wife answered it and said ah oh, he can't talk to you today he's in court for embezzlement um, uh, and as you say, my my first thought was rats. Why didn't they arrest him next week rather than just <laughs> yes. like you said? If he paid that, paid cash in hand and the money we wanted, that would have been fine. Um, Gareth Nunn mm. gives, gives us a little bit of autobiographical detail. Gareth Nunn says he, that he's Irish and that he's lived in Madrid since two thousand and four. 
And Gareth says, since moving here, I get to see almost all of 38 games involving my beloved Arsenal. And there have been times when this has been a curse rather than a blessing. Unfortunately, Gareth, we can't comment on the fact that Arsenal are having a really good season because producer guys made it quite plain. We can't talk about football. On a recent pod, someone asked about who pays the camera operators at games. And Kieran said for the Premier League, Sky put the cameras in the ground and record everything. Now, I can watch almost any game at 3pm on a Saturday, including Palace. I don't like the way he said including Palace there. So <laughs> if he said especially Palace, that would have been better, Gareth. But never mind. Um, since this can't be shown on UK TV, and the ones who use the footage are overseas broadcasters and match of the day. Do Sky get a cut of those broadcasting deals since they are supplying the workers' equipment, etc.? Thanks a million. And if you're ever in Madrid, beers and tapas are on me. That's very kind of you, Gareth. Oh, that is, yes, perhaps uh, Price of Football Live in, in Spain. That'd be great. Well, considering the stick I got for my American accent last week, the, my idea of trying to do it, <laughs> <laughs> my, Steve, my Steve McLaren-type Spanish accent wouldn't go down too well in Madrid. <laughs> um, yeah, well, thanks for the question, Gareth, and, and also for the offer. Um, with regards to the uh, the costs, um, you know, Sky and BT uh, either do this internally, you know, Sky do have a, a lot of broadcast experience, or... If, if uh, you know, I think we are recording this on the Sunday. There's five matches taking place live on a Sunday. Um, they they don't, act, and of course they've got the deal with the EFL as well. So so some of the uh, broadcasting is effectively outsourced to freelancers, or they'll they'll get another company. And so there's there's a lot of money being distributed to different parties. So it's not a case of Sky necessarily having ten dedicated camera crews themselves um they, they certainly do have some but uh if on on certain weekends they they might have to outsource um the costs of physically recording those are agreed between um the premier league sky and and the outsource people and those are effectively treated as central costs so therefore when the bbc pays for match of the day um you know they they don't do any of the recording themselves and the fee that they pay covers the costs that the premier league are incurring in respect of the broadcast cost itself the clubs are effectively bearing some of that as well because the premier league has to pay or via sky they have to pay for the broadcasts and then that that decreases the 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 amount of money available in the pot to be distributed to individual clubs it's it's really interesting Ken. i remember talking to uh steve parish and steve browett not long after palace had been promoted to the premier league and, and we have mentioned this probably it normally costs a club promoted to the premier league about five million pounds to mm. get the stadium mm. premier league ready most of which is is on broadcasting facilities and making sure the floodlights are bright enough and making sure that the Premier League basically tell them where this product is watched around the world. It's got to be of the highest quality from every club. So it's, it's astonishing. People don't realise mm. how much it costs the clubs to get all the cabling, all the facilities for broadcasting people. And that's that's it, it's, it's money they spend, obviously, but because they get a lot of money from the broadcasting deal. But I don't think people quite realise how much it costs football clubs to get a stadium ready to show football. Yeah, yeah, but we're not talking about football. No, we're not talking about football. And technically, that had the word football in it, so you're quite right. Um, and talking about stadium, it's almost like I subconsciously segue to this, Kieran. Um, and it is, sub- it is subconscious, trust me. Um, Thomas Johnson has a very interesting question. Thomas says, I have a question about stadium maintenance costs and their impact on clubs' fortunes. I'm not quite sure why Bradford City continually linger in League Two 
despite their average attendances of around 15,000, which is astonishing, really, Kieran, considering the level of football they're playing at. Is their League Two status partly related to the size of their stadium and the cost of maintaining it? Um, it, it, it isn't. Uh, this is, Bradford City is an in, intriguing case. Um, first of all, I want to give them a, a high five. Their most recent accounts—they've—they've they've gone from being, um, I, I think they—I I described them as having the worst accounts in football about oh. four years ago. Oh wow! And um, I—I'm I'm taking no credit for this, but they—they've uh, certainly upped their game recently. So they've—they've they've now got very detailed figures. Um, the the issue with with Bradford and uh, yeah, they've—they've been getting seventeen, eighteen thousand this season, yeah. which for for League Two is amazing. Um, you've got to give the people a lot of credit uh, for, they've said, right, we want to get as many people in as possible and we're going to make it as available as possible. £198 for a season ticket yeah. at Bradford. So it works out as, as £8.60 per game for an adult, which is which is an amazing price. Um, and therefore, it's it's sold out. Um, as far as um, the... the there's, the running costs of the club, they're actually relatively modest by by EFL club standards, certainly for the lowest two divisions. Um, on the back of those high attendances, uh, Bradford had revenues of, of 7.3 million in the most recent pre-COVID year, which, which certainly puts it right at the very top end of League Two. Um, I think it's, it was slightly above Plymouth that year, for example. But it, it's not enough of an advantage to guarantee promotion. So there is this paradox in that there's lots of people who get the opportunity to go to Bradford. And uh, and to be fair to the uh, you know the, the fans who go to Valley Parade, they, they, they go there, um, which, which is fantastic. Um, but it's, it's not enough to be able to put into the playing budget to give them a sufficient advantage to, to effectively you know, buy or guarantee promotion. Yeah, you can't imagine Mark Hughes came cheap as manager. I, I, Bradford are one of those clubs I always look out for. A, mm. because of their kit. I, I've always loved their kit from when I was a kid. B, because I've got family in Bradford, um, none of whom support Bradford City, even though they're football mad. And there's Bradford's problem. People people talk about Newcastle United and the, their dominance in the North East. Unless you've been to Yorkshire, that West Yorkshire, you, you don't understand how much Leeds United dominates Mm. That part of the world, everyone is automatically, even when Leeds were struggling in, in the championship, that people around there tend to look to Leeds. So I thought, I think Bradford made a really clever decision to make those prices as cheap as they are. And to make, it's almost free for a lot of children. I think that was a wise thing to do. I, I sometimes wonder, Kira, why more, more clubs don't have a similar model. Well, it, it's certainly something which clubs perhaps consider i mean bradford is a big city in its own right i know, yeah, I, know yeah. I know it's close to leeds and um, so it is a big city um if you you know if, if we if we look at somewhere such as morecambe or accrington they're, they're relatively small towns and therefore there's there's a limited number of uh, people yeah. Yeah, if, if you if you halve the price then you've got to double the number of people attending before you before uh, you break yeah, even, yeah. and then of course you need additional stewards, you need you know additional running costs. So it the the, the numbers when they're crunched um, don't necessarily stack up. In, in the case of Bradford, I, I I've got nothing but admir- admiration because they're they're bringing football to the people. Mm. See that explanation uh, is a clear illustration of why you're the country's leading football finance expert, and I'm asking you questions for a living, <laughs> a living. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, a lot of living would require <laughs> <involve> payments. <laughs> <laughs> They're doing it for smiles. <laughs> yeah, we one day we'll read those emails that we sent him about the living wage. But anyway, <laughs> um, Adam Bull is a Lincoln fan, and if Bradford are in your good step, Lincoln have always been in your, in your good yes. books. Yeah. Um, Adam Bull's a Lincoln fan, as I say. Adam says, in the city, we are employing a new, more sustainable model. Buying youngsters with potential and hopefully selling them on at a profit. My question is: Do managers, talent spotters, or anybody else get a commission on any profit made when a player is sold? Um, yes, they potentially do. Everything comes down to your contract. So it could be that uh, we could have individual members of staff who are entitled to development. To to uh, to some uh, cut uh, in respect of uh, player sales, um, it can be managers on some occasions. I believe owners have taken a slice as well. Um, so it, it is a a way of encouraging people at the club to um, get involved and to tend to develop. Uh, certainly, in the case of Lincoln, that that is the case. I, I was out. I was out for a, uh, a drink with with Liam, who's uh, chief exec of Liam of, of Lincoln, a couple of weeks ago, and I think him and Clive and and the way that they run the club is very progressive. Um, it, you know, it is that they it, it's inclusive in the sense that they they have meetings with fan groups on a regular basis. Um, they're very very open, and if you if you're open and honest with people. Um, then it actually reduces the ability of people to criticise because, yeah. you know, there's, if, you, if we go back to the Glazers, um, Manchester United fans are very, very angry towards the Glazers. Part of the reason for that is that the Glazers never speak to them. Um, you know, the, the Manchester United playing budget, and I know this isn't funded by the Glazer family themselves, I know it comes you know, effectively from internal sources, is very competitive. But that message is either communicated very badly or not communicated at all. Um, and, and that's why we have this, this ongoing issue in, in terms of the resentment towards the people who, who, who have bought and, and I'll, be, I'll be honest, profited from the club. Whereas um, at places such as Lincoln, they just say, this is what we're doing. This is how we've made the decision. These are the financial consequences. Um, we, we can't guarantee we're going to get promotion, but we, we believe that by taking such an approach, by you know growing the size of the stadium, by trying to be more inclusive in terms of the fan base, it gives us greater sustainability. And through sustainability, you, you know, we, we've got a chance of getting to the championship and, and then things go from there. I'm Steve Lamack and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight Stuart Dredge on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode we discuss the very latest goings on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Our next question, Kieran, comes from Hugh Roberts. And it it's a subject we have talked about on and off, but it's one that I'm happy to revisit because it's as you know it's a it's a real 
bugbear of mine. Um, because I, I genuinely think this is a good idea, and you genuinely think it isn't. But Hugh Roberts says, I've often wondered if a return to the old Division 3 North and Division 3 South would be financially beneficial to the lower league clubs, as it would reduce travel costs for clubs and fans and possibly create more revenue with more potential local derbies. Some say this would dilute the quality of the game, yet it does work lower in the period with National Leagues North and South. Now, it, the, the problem is that clubs tend to agree with you, Kim. When you talk to clubs... They don't particularly like this idea, do they? Um, I, I think in 2022, um, you know, more and more clubs are thinking about how can we uh, reduce our cost base. Uh, you know, certainly we we know that uh, that uh, heating and lighting costs have gone up. Yeah, the, the cost of the cost of fuel is is going through the roof. Um, you know, I, I walk the dog past our local petrol station each morning, and it literally goes goes up by the day. So, so it is a consideration. Um, and also, as somebody that's commuting from Brighton to Liverpool, that the price of rail fares are just, yeah, yeah, just just crazy. And that's if you can find a train that's running um, on time or on a regular basis. So, so there there are there are certainly considerations. So, I understand where, where Hugh's coming from. I also, I, I absolutely sympathise with 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 your position as well. Um. As, and yesterday, uh, yeah, we're recording this on Sunday. Yesterday, if we take a look at the National League, um, we had Altrincham playing at Torquay, yeah, and the match had been moved for TV purposes to five thirty PM on I a Saturday. Know, I know, I know. Yeah, that, that's that's where I get really angry. Um, sort of on behalf of of Alty fans. I used to live in Alty, um, so. It, it is it is certainly a consideration um the 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 reason why I'm always a little bit circumspect about it is that if we take a look at the national league which which Hugh has raised um we've got a national league north which is consisting all of or almost all of full-time professional teams and then we've got national league south which is practically all part-time and and those divisions are deemed to be equal in terms of standard now yeah with the best will in the world you know full-time teams tend to have players who are you know a bit fitter um than than those who are part-time so so it it does it has led to perhaps a a dilution as far as the national league south is concerned um whilst i don't think this would be an issue if we split uh league one into league one north and league one south um it also the, you know, the 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 train spotter part of me, and you know, I I I I am an obsessive person. Um, that part of me, if I was supporting um, Plymouth or Barrow, yeah, practically every match is a long distance anyway, yeah. and I'm I'm a ground hopper, so I've done 117 grounds watching some football club or other. It would effectively mean that. You know, if I was from Brighton or Palace and we were in League One or Two, or you know, this or this combined lower league, we would never get the opportunity to go to Barrow or to Carlisle, um, and, and I think that's that, that's a shame because you know part of the fun of being an away fan are those lunatic trips that you, that you make not not every season um, where. Yeah, I, I remember going to Carlisle and back in a day from Brighton, and it was a great day out. Um, and it gives you the opportunity to see more of the country. And there's another issue. 
where is the line between yeah. north and south? Because you've got to have a barrier, and you could end up with two clubs which are twenty miles apart, but for the sake of having to have, you know, well, the necessity of having to have the same number of clubs in each division, you could have, you know, Walsall might end up never playing Mansfield because one was deemed to be just south of the the, the divide because they've had to effectively push Walsall into the uh, into the south. And you've got Mansfield who are just north. And, and actually, geographically, they're not a huge, uh, huge way apart. Yeah, I think Gloucester are in National League North, which doesn't make sense to a lot. Of, yeah. uh, there, yeah. there, there are some strange anomalies. And, and like you say, because we spoke to the owner of Plymouth about this, he said, well, if you're Plymouth, Everywhere, so you could be region, yes. you can be as regional as you want. But, you know, if, if South End are in the same league as Plymouth, that's still a long journey. They might be on the same mm-hmm. sort of line of latitude or whatever it is. Um, uh, uh, geography is another subject that's not high on my list of goods. But it, <laughs> it, it, it is an interesting one. It, it just, it, unfortunately, as you say, as economics gets trickier and trickier, you, you sometimes you sometimes do think the, the cost of going from Accrington to, to Plymouth is just ludicrous but mm. uh, I, I can say Ali's when Ali's away uh, I don't believe it or not I don't tend to cook as, as properly as I do when Ali's here and one of my uh, guilty secrets is the co-op do this spatchcock chicken Ta- uh-huh. takes an hour to cook um, four weeks ago it was a fiver yesterday it was £7.70 it's, 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 this is why people are struggling. For, for those yeah, yeah. You know, nice middle-class people listening to this, wondering what the fuss is about, it, it's getting ludicrous. And for football clubs, I mean, I, I do I, I do worry the heating bills. I mean, uh, there's a couple of pubs around us that are going into hibernation for the winter because they simply can't afford to pay the, the, the energy bills. And they're just hoping that they'll still be there come spring. It's... That, that's insane. It's 2022, Kieran, in the fifth largest economy in the world. Anyway, our next question is about something that happened a while ago, but I don't think we've ever spoken about it. And it's mm. it's a story mm. that I like. And the question comes from, and I apologise in advance to Bryn Brothers, because the question comes from Bryn Brothers. And I, I, Bryn, I'm sorry, you must get this all the time, but I wouldn't rest easy without asking whether that's one of you or two of you. I, 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 can't, <laughs> I can't let that pass. I'm sure you get it. All the time. It must be a nightmare for you. Um, talking of nightmares, I just the thought just came into play. You mentioned buying my house. I just thought about being your tenant and Uncle Terry coming around for the rent. Um, <laughs> so, again, subconsciously, I don't know why I saw the word Barry Fry and Uncle Terry popped into mind. Oh, uh, Brim Brothers has this question. During the 2017-18 season, Peter Marie United's director of football, Barry Fry, was fined and suspended from all football activities for four months. His crime was to place a bet with bookies that one of the club's players would win the Leeds Golden Boot. He was supported by the club in this matter as they claimed that he was attempting to offset the payment that the player would receive in the form of a performance bonus. They argued this was prudent financial management. The player did indeed win the Golden Boot that season. My question is, says Bryn, can insurance be purchased in the form of a one-off premium to cover a potential performance bonus payment being activated like this one. So, in a nutshell, Barry Fry put a fair bit of money on this player to be the top scorer in the league. Um, and he claimed that he did that because if he was the top scorer at the club that season, he was getting a huge bonus. So, on the, on the face of it, it, it made sense. Technically, mm. it was illegal, which is why he got the foul against the laws of football. So, can can you get a one-off insurance for this, Kieran? 
you you certainly can the the insurance industry has uh uh has very very close links now with football you you can effectively insure for for practically anything um and and clubs do take out uh in insurance pay, uh, bonus things uh policies and and the reason for that is is to do with timing so uh if you are promoted to the premier league for example um you get your your first payment from the from the premier league um on on around about the the third week in june now it could be that the if you're promoted in may then the players are entitled to their bonuses in may so so where does the cash come from so therefore the the insurance industry will will do an assessment and, and they will offer you um opportunities to to take out a policy for practically anything and that includes uh player player bonuses um the benefits of that is it allows the club to to budget with a greater degree of certainty because once you've paid your insurance policy to yeah, probably to Aviva rather than William Hill. Yeah, I think yeah, that, that's, there's a little bit more credibility. Um, then, uh, then, then you know exactly how much you're financially committed to, um, and and if you don't do this, you know the the consequences can can be quite unpleasant so if if we go back to um 2010 for example um portsmouth if, if people may recall portsmouth got to the fa cup final yeah and people looked at the the the, the starting 11 and i thought well, there's a couple of players who i thought would be playing in that and they they weren't able to play those players because the players had clauses in their contracts which said should should certain things be achieved, then then bonuses were kicking in, and and the Portsmouth's finances were chaotic, to put yeah. it quite mildly, and and the and the club just took the decision. Well, yeah, we're in the FA Cup final, so um, we're we're not going to pay those players. Now, if they'd taken out an insurance policy, they would have been able to pay the players. They have already paid the pre they, they'd have paid their 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 insurance costs, um, and and they could have done things from a footballing point of view as opposed to a financial. So. Um, you can get insurance for, for everything. Yeah, we, we've spoken about these days that most transfers at the elite level are are done on credit. Um, you know, and we've seen that you know collectively the the Premier League owes or uh, owes one point six billion pounds to mm. other clubs. Um, what happens if one of those clubs doesn't pay? Well, if as the selling club, what you can now do is that you can buy an insurance policy which says if yeah, we've let's say you know, Liverpool sold sold Coutinho to to Barcelona. If Barcelona don't pay, then the insurance club, the insurance company, can potentially pay out. Um, so you can take out all. If, if if there's a risk involved, there's an insurance policy available. That that's that's the that's the long and the short of it. This is probably Kieran a question for our legal friend Nick DeMarco, um, but not having a spare two thousand quid on me, I'd probably ask you instead. He's on his honeymoon at present. Is he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was, uh, I was, I was at his book launch uh, event on Wednesday. Yeah, he got uh, he and his partner uh, tied the knot uh, last weekend. So, congratulations to Nick, um, and uh, wish you wish yeah, the two of you all the best for the future. Yes, absolutely right. Um, well, as he's on his honeymoon, Kieran, I definitely won't interrupt him with, if his wife's anything like the Baroness, or his partner's anything like the Baroness. He won't, he won't want a phone call. Going, it's Kevin here from Price of Football. Um, those two players who had that clause in their contract could, yeah, they're missing the FA Cup final. Could they not have said, "I, I we, you don't need to activate the clause"? 
Yes, yeah, they, they, you can always waive. Um, yeah, but the, the nature of a contract is that you simply have a, a, an, an alteration to the contract, so you can waive the entitlement. Um, but yeah, in, in in this case, there's always a bit of brinkmanship, and, and I think there were issues. There were much bigger issues taking place at Pompey uh, at the time. You know, it, it was a classic example of a uh, poor governance and and the, the the club being used as a sort of a uh, a musical chairs past the parcel of toxic assets. Mm. Um, if only, if only there had been an independent regulator of football available, then Kevin, um, you know, perhaps uh, a, you know, a, a better se- a better set of eyes could have uh, uh, been applied to to the owners. I'm going to get a bell here, and just <laughs> otherwise, I just have to go. Hey, all, um, Barry Fry gave Sellers Park one of the most remarkable 30 seconds. I can't remember who he was managing at the time. It might be Birmingham, or he might or might be when he was managing Peterborough. But he was quite a portly chap, Barry Fry. I don't know what he's like now, but he was certainly quite portly at the time. Um, and they're, 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 his team scored, and, and he set off on a run to the corner flag, which normally would infuriate Palace fans. But because of his size... Everyone was just, <laughs> everyone was just really worried, and you could see this in John's ambulance. Get just, they just got up, started heading towards the corner flag, just, <laughs> and everyone's going, he's going over, and he, he got to the corner flag, and he stopped for about ten seconds, took a couple of deep breaths, and then sprinted back again to a, a generous round of applause from Palace fans. I have to say, <laughs> um, our last question comes from Sean Fox, um, and this is a very interesting one. Mm. Uh, again, it's not. Strictly financial, but it's it's too interesting not to ask, to be honest. And Sean Fox's question is this. The amount of technology in football increases every year. And one area that's increased hugely is the tracking of player performance. Now, players are wearing bibs now that uh, record things like distance travelled, heart rate, performance zones, etc. No doubt this information is very useful in developing training mm-hmm. plans, rehabbing injured players, load management and other things. But my question is what happens with the data, the data even. Who has access to the data? It seems like there would be lots of potential privacy concerns surrounding this data, and I'm wondering how the English leagues handle it. Do the Premier League and EFL have policies in place? Is it handled on a team-by-team basis? And I suppose from the financial aspect, Kieran, other clubs might pay quite a lot of money to get access Mm. to this data, wouldn't they, about potential players that they want to buy or players that they're going to play against? Yes, yes. Uh, as you say, th- this is not really a finance area, so therefore I'm indebted to my friend Tom Murray of Mishcons, uh, who's one of my uh, sports lawyer chums. Uh, and uh, so I, I, co- I contacted Tom uh, about this, and he says what, one of the common misconceptions, and, and I, I, I'm, I'm in part of this, um, about data is that data has no owner. Data is data. Um, but the, the legal issue is... Who can control it and who can use it? Um, and I, I, there, there are ongoing issues here. So there's something called uh, Project Red Card, which is being organised effectively via sort of player unions and, and ex-player unions. Um, and the person in charge of this is the uh, the ex uh, the ex football manager Russell Salad, um, who uh, as, as, as ran yeah, he was manager of quite a few clubs and. The argument being put forward here by by the players and the players' union is that surely that's part of our IP, um, mm. and we we should be able to uh, have control 
uh, and restrict access to 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 that data with regards to us. Um, when, when I contacted Tom, he says, "Well, the chances are is that if you take a look at the small print of the player's contract, it says that the club is entitled to a uh, request that you wear these uh, the, these data vests, and b the the club is entitled to then use it." But I think there's a lot of uncertainty here. What happens, uh, uh, you know, if if the player uh, moves, yeah, does the, is the player entitled to take their data yeah. with them, or is it kept by the previous club? Because that could be really useful um, when when the two clubs, you know, the, the 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 former club and the new club, in relation to the player they meet. Because we might say, well, you know, we we know that this player for the first sixty five minutes is operating at ninety percent, and then uh, there's there's normally a big big drop off. So therefore, target him in the last half hour of the match, and the, so you you can see that it certainly um, does have uh, financial value and also playing value. Um, It's an area which is constantly developing, um, as as data science does. Um, There's an awful lot of uh, uncertainty about it because uh, there was a few years ago, there was a a bit of a dispute between Liverpool and Manchester City, two clubs that clearly don't seem to like each other, Mm. which resulted in Liverpool effectively paying Manchester City a £1 million out-of-court settlement for um, information with regards to to City players. Because I think Liverpool recruited some players, sorry, recruited some staff from Manchester City. Those staff might have had access uh, using passwords to Manchester City's data bank and so on. So, And, and, and the, the, the case has, has always been very much out-of-court settlement. Both clubs have signed NDAs. But uh, if the fact that that's going for seven figures and that relates to issues a few years ago, I'd I'd, I'd be very intrigued to think just how much is that information worth today. Mm. Uh, Thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to join them and make a small monthly contribution to the pod, then please go to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. And if you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. We should be back on Thursday with our usual news pod. Until then, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary film. Well, as always, uh, folks, thank you very much for all the variety of ways in which you support the show, keeping us on our toes. Um, uh, it, it, it's, it's good for us, and, and, and we, we appreciate the, uh, the kind words as well. Um, Patreon is one way of supporting the, the show for as little as a pound a month, um, and, and you get our love and uh, positive vibes. Um, you you can uh, of course use your app and and uh, give it give us a five star review. It, it doesn't matter uh, what you say, and as far as the narrative is concerned, you could you could even say you would rather have the because well, we're almost at Halloween. We're almost at Halloween. You could you'd rather say you'd rather have the show presented by Michael Myers and Kieran Dyer, and <laughs> and it wouldn't it wouldn't bother us. Um, and another way of supporting the show, um, we we are delighted to have uh, been nominated and made the shortlist for for podcast of the year. Uh, yeah, we're, we're up against big hitters. We we know uh, we're, in all probability we're, we're not going to win it. But if if you'd like to go to the Football Supporters Association website um, and uh, and vote for us for uh, podcast of the year, so that we can come we can come a plucky fifth out of four, um, that would be absolutely fantastic. Uh, there's always the hope, Kieran, that complacency will set in with the other nominees. That's right. The, the, the Guardian pod might think, now nah, we, we won't bother asking for votes this year. We're going to win it. You never, you never know. I've, I've watched enough 1950s Ealing comedies to know that the underdog can have his day. You like Halloween. You like scary films, don't you? 
I, I do. I, I have seen every single Halloween movie and um, Halloween Ends, um, which was which was was quite sad in a way because I, I followed the franchise since 1978. Uh, yeah, I, I, th- I think it has ended. Oh, good. I I feel about scary films the way I feel about roller coasters. Okay, I, I don't <laughs> I don't see why I should pay money to scare myself. Basically, don't like them. Um, <laughs> bye, everybody. Bye. The Bye, son, for the